Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining in uh, to worship with us both through song and through uh, the hearing of God's Word. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church, and it's always a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's Word with you guys. Uh, it's a sad day for us um, and a hard day because we are closing out the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's not hard in the sense of what Solomon is going to tell us this morning uh, is going to be anything different than we've already learned. Uh, but it's going to be hard because this book, uh, through God's beautiful providence, uh, has blessed us so much in this season. Um, it's funny because Dwayne and I, before this series even started, questioned if we should even walk through this book. Um, and I'm glad that we have because through conversations with everyone, um, whether it be community groups or whether it be um, meetings at the uh, coffee shop when we could actually meet at the coffee shop, um, whether it be passing remarks from people online that have joined us, um, even in times where we have just messed up everything we could here on our end, um, the message that has come through the book of Ecclesiastes has been so sweet to this church. And I'd be lying to you if I, uh, if I were to tell you that I'm happy we're finishing this book today. Um, but we are. Um, and we're praising God for what he's done in this season. Uh, we're asking that it would dig deep roots into our lives. Um, and we are praying for the next sermon series that we walk through this summer and the book of Colossians that we'll get into in the fall, that God would do the same thing that he's done here in this season uh, in those next coming seasons. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting in verse 7. We're going to pick up where Dwayne left off last week. Um, and while you're doing that, um, I can't believe that it's taken us a month to six weeks to do this, but the verses will be right here on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along with us. Uh, I'm glad I got to do that. Dwayne hasn't been able to. Um, the other thing I want to highlight for you and kind of bring up a fact uh, in the American society and maybe even in the world in general is this. Um, we are obsessed with a zombie narrative. And I admit, I'm a part of this obsession. I grew up playing video games like Resident Evil, um, Left 4 Dead, Call of Duty, the, the zombie mode. Um, I watched movies like 28 Days, 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Zombieland, I Am Legend, uh, The Walking Dead, whatever it is uh, that I could get my hands on, I, I watched it as much as I could. Um, we've even had conversations whether or not uh, the group in our church would survive a zombie apocalypse and how long people would survive. I'm not going to get into the scenarios that have played out in some of those conversations, but the two things that are fact when it comes to this church, if something like that were to happen, is this. We need to protect Ransford at all costs, and we need to get to Dwayne's dad's house. Those are the two things that we need to do if something like that happened. But the reason I bring this up is because what you find in a zombie narrative is this. And Solomon has been telling us this this whole book. Death is chasing us. Death is constantly chasing us. And no matter what we do, no matter how fast we run, no matter how many zombies we kill, no matter where we hide, 
death is always chasing us. Very much like Solomon, Solomon's words throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Because we see that under the sun, death is the ultimate equalizer. And so what we're going to do today, and what Solomon is going to do for us, is going to answer the question about what the purpose of life is. And he's going to come to a conclusion of the question that he asked early in chapter 1, verse 3. If you remember, this is what he said, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Solomon, in this book, set out to answer this question and find what a man gains under the sun. And what we've seen, what this refrain that he has been giving us throughout this book is this, that all is vanity under the sun. All is vanity, all is meaningless without a perspective on the eternal realities that God has given us. Without a foundation built upon the Lord, everything is meaningless. Why? Because we see injustice where there's supposed to be justice. We see oppression where there's supposed to be freedom. We see that in this life under the sun, nothing can truly satisfy us. And then finally, as we've talked about, death comes for us all because it's constantly chasing us. So finally, Solomon gives us a conclusion on all that he studied. And I hope, as it's done for me this week, that it brings you joy and hope in this life. And I'm glad that as the tension has built throughout this book, Solomon finally brings us to a resolution. So let's pray, and we'll jump into what Solomon has to say about the purpose and meaning of life. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We pray that as we open up your word, that we would see what man's purpose is, what our purpose in life is. And I pray that it would challenge us, that it would push us to be image bearers, Lord. It would push us to be people who live a life uh, that is obedient to your word that we strive for holiness, strive for godliness. And Lord, in those strivings, this world around us would see the light of the gospel in our lives. And as Waylon prayed, that we would be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We thank you for the gift you've given us in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles again, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, starting in verse 7. If you have a pen or a highlighter, if you write in your Bible, uh, go ahead and underline these three words whenever they come up. Remember, rejoice, and remove. So remember, rejoice, and remove. Verse 7 says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remember vexa or remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity." Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. 
So what is Solomon saying here? He says, rejoice in your life that you've been given. Remove any anxiety and worry and vexation that have caused you pain and enjoy the life God has given you. Enjoy all that you've been given in your youth. This is something that Solomon has said consistently throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that in this life under the sun, the best thing that we can do is enjoy what we've been given. Let me give you a couple of examples. Solomon writes in chapter 2, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift to man from, from God. You find in chapter 3, verse 22, he says the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 18, he goes on to say something very similar. Chapter 8, verse 15, and chapter 9, verse 9. All of these examples Solomon gives is the same message. Enjoy the life that God has given you. Enjoy good food, enjoy good friends, enjoy good drink. Enjoy it while you are still young and can enjoy these gifts. This is Solomon's message in life under the sun. He's not teaching some type of hedonistic view of the world where we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, but he's teaching a reality of life that God has given us good gifts to enjoy, and so we should. Solomon reminds us that despite all of life's enigmas and all of life's inequalities, we should enjoy, enjoy God and the gifts he's given Chapter 5, verse 19 says, To be happy in one's work is a gift from God Himself. Paul writes this in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. When the sun's out and life is sweet, guys, enjoy life. Enjoy what God has given you. And I want you to really think about what this looks like especially right now in a life of what we would call lockdown or the pandemic, how can you enjoy this life and the gifts God has given you? For me right now, it's uh, going fishing. The last couple of weeks, I, every other day, I've gone out and just gone fishing while the sun is setting, country music is playing, maybe there's some beer, but we're just enjoying fishing and God's creation and thanking God for those gifts. Maybe for you, it's, it's friendship. It's those people that are in your life. And I know right now we're in a time where we can't hang out with people like we've been able to. But there are common graces of technology as well as social distance type of uh, being able to see each other that allow for a small piece of what we once had. And we're praying that that comes back and is restored and that we appreciate that time. But in this season, what does enjoying life look like for you? These moments when you don't want that time to end, but when it does, you look back and you are so thankful that God has given you these beautiful gifts to enjoy. Now, what I want to say 
in, in this aspect of life is that we're not trying to live in a remember yesterday type of mindset. Remember, in chapter 7, Solomon says that that is the life of a fool. What he's saying right now is be present in your youth and enjoy the life and the gifts that you have been given. When he says in our youth, what he's saying is while you're still able to do the things that you love, and while you still take pleasure in the things that you have, enjoy them. Because at some point, they will be gone. Or at some point, as we'll walk into chapter 2 and see, this pleasure and enjoyment will start to fade. So I want to encourage you, enjoy the life that you have now. Stop looking to the left, stop looking to the right, stop looking at and thinking that the grass is greener on the other side, but enjoy the gift God has given you. I don't want to take too much time on this mentality, but I think that we often lose sight of what we have because we live in a world where we compare. We compare the house, we compare the car, we compare the job, the money, whatever it might be. We look at someone else's life and we compare and we lose out on the joy we can have in the here and now. And Solomon says, remove this worry. Remove this anxiety. Remove this vexation that causes you to look at others and compare and have pain and enjoy the life God has given you because eventually that pleasure will fade because death is chasing us all. He goes on to say, remember. And he says it multiple times and he gives us some qualifications of remembering and qualifications uh, or warnings that we are supposed to have when it comes to remembering in our youth. Here what, here's what he says. He says, remember the days of darkness. So if you uh, think back to chapter 7, he says that the, the wise man lives in the house of mourning. This isn't that we're supposed to walk around crying all the time, but we are supposed to think about death and that it is coming and to have an eternal perspective on death and to make sure that we are living in the present moment. So he says, remember that the evil days are coming. So keep that in mind as you walk through your youth. He also says to remember um, that you will stand before God. So as you enjoy life, as you uh, pursue the things of your heart and, and to do the things that your eyes see, remember that you will stand before God in judgment and you will be judged for these deeds. We'll get to that a little bit later as we continue this chapter. He also says in your youth and in your enjoyment, remember that your body will eventually get old. Take care of what you have now. So I understand that I'm not the oldest person here at our church. We're probably right in the middle, right? We've got some older people finally. Um, but we do have a lot of younger people. And so I want to encourage you um, to learn from myself and learn from some of the, our older, wiser men and women in this church um, your body, what you do now, uh, can cause you to suffer in the long run, right? You, you only have two knees. You only have two shoulders. Uh, you have one back. And if you don't take care of it now, you can suffer in the long run. So take care of what you have. Enjoy it, but take care of what you have. He also says to remember your Creator. That your Creator who gives you life and breath and all things, remember that He has designed a way for you to live, for you to flourish, for you to prosper, for you to enjoy this life. Remember Him. 
And not only remember Him, but meditate on Him. Go to His Word. Praise Him. Pray to Him. Think about all the things that He has done for you in this life. And let it humble you. Let it bring you to a reverent awe. But He says, do this in your youth. And what I take, uh, what I take Solomon to mean by that is, while you're young, begin to plant roots that are going to be driven deep into the foundation of who God is. So that as you continue to grow older and wiser, you have a faithfulness that you have grown through your life. This isn't anything new that you haven't heard from me before. And I was telling Travis this week, I, I painted my kitchen, uh, the, the, the chalk paint black, and, and I did that for reasons so I could write certain things to remind me of um, the goodness of God. And one of the phrases that I have on that wall is, embrace the ordinary and pray for the extraordinary. And so in our youth, let us embrace the ordinary of the Christian life. Let us pursue the spiritual disciplines and allow them to be consistent patterns and themes throughout our lives so that when we get to our old age, we can look back and see seasons of faithfulness that God has blessed us in. Great lives of faith come from daily, moment-by-moment faithfulness in trusting the Lord and pursuing Him, being obedient to His commands. So embrace the ordinary of the Christian life and remember your Creator in your youth. And then Solomon goes on to give us this metaphor, this poem on mortality. I'm glad that he gives us this poem. And we don't necessarily see how it's written here um, in the ESV. Or at least in my Bible, it's just a straight column down. But when you look at this in the Hebrew, you start to see this poetic form that Solomon gives. And he does this in order for us to slow down. Poetry like this is to be meditated on and read and reread because there are metaphors in here that Solomon is trying to show us based on what he has just said, that we will lose all the pleasures we once had in our youth. So let's take a look at what he has to say. We're going to kind of look at this verse by verse. Um, and so just kind of be prepared for me to stop and go, stop and go, all right? So we'll jump back to verse 1 where he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars and the, and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. What Solomon is saying here is that as you grow older, your mental vitality begins to fade. You're not as sharp as you once were. And your, your mind begins to slow down. The, the thoughts of uh, future and, and preparation, they, they don't seem to come as quick as they once did. And he goes on to verse 3. He says, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, he's talking about your hands, and the strong men are bent. He's talking about your legs and your arms. They, they can no longer hold things like they used to. And the grinders cease because they are few. He's talking about teeth, teeth falling out as you get older. And those 
who look through windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. He's talking about vision and your eyes becoming blurry as you get older and your vision starts to decrease. Now, I know that we live in a world where dentures and contacts exist so that we don't necessarily walk around seeing people without teeth falling out or their their eyes um, and their sight decreasing. But in the Old Testament, they didn't have things like this. And so as people got older, you would see teeth are gone. You could see that their, their vision was no longer as clear as it once was. And this is what Solomon is saying is, as you get older, these are the things that begin to happen. Verse 5. Actually, let's go back to verse 4. He says, When the sound of the grinding is low, and the one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. What he's saying here is as you get older, your hearing goes, you start to go to bed earlier, you're tired, you're not as bold as you once were, and you wake up early. And then he says in verse 5, They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. So he's talking about in, in, the, in your youth, you might have done some things that you wouldn't do now in your old age. Even at 33, I look back at some of the things that I used to do at 20 and 21, and I'm, I, one, I'm thankful I'm still here and I'm alive. Two, I would definitely not do those things that I did in my youth. And that's what he's saying as you get older, you start to think about that boldness you once had, and you're like, nah, I'm, I'm good. But he also starts to show that as you get older, things slow down. And the world around you seems to be moving at a faster pace while you have, slow, while you have slowed down. He also talks about the almond tree blossoming. This is a, a metaphor for uh, the almond blossoming to the color white. And the metaphor shows how hair can turn white or gray or even fall out. He also says, as we look at the grasshopper who drags himself, this is a metaphor for when we move as older men and women, it, it gets harder to move than one, when it once was in our youth. And if you've, uh, in old, older age, have tried to play sports like football and basketball, like now, I walked all 18 holes last night and uh, I am sore. At age 20, I, I wouldn't have been sore. So I can already see that creeping in. And then he talks about desires fading. And this is a desire to sexuality. As you get older, your desire to have sex begins to fade. And then in verses 6 and 7 and 8, he closes out and says, Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken in the cistern, and the dust returns to earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Here, he says, eventually death comes. Eventually, death catches up to us. He's referencing Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the creation and fall account where man was created out of the dust and to the dust he shall return. But what's interesting is Solomon also points to the soul and that the soul will return to God and be judged as he stands before him. 
Solomon is not some annihilation type of thinker or a, a teacher of karma where that you will be reincarnated once you die and come back. He doesn't teach that the soul will be annihilated and, and this life is all that we have. What he teaches is that the soul will stand before God. And in the verse 8, as he has refrained throughout this book, he says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. From the beginning of chapter 11 in verse 1 all the way until now, Solomon has been telling us to rejoice and enjoy our lives. Even though you don't know what might happen, even though you don't know what God will do and what He has already done, in this, rejoice. In this, enjoy the life and the youth that you have. Remember your Creator and remember that death is chasing you but enjoy the life that God has gifted to you. Now let me ask you this. What, what does this passage, what does this poem tell us about God? What is Solomon trying to show us about who God is? Here's what I think Solomon's trying to show us. That God rejoices in the exuberance of youth and the faithfulness of old age. But whether you are young or old, all is meaningless without a relationship with Him. And the only way that that relationship between God and man can be brought together is through the person and work of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross that made a way for that bridge between God and sinful man to be brought. So what do we do with this mortality? While death is chasing after us, what are we to do? We begin to ask that question as Solomon closes out, and he gives us that. He's creating this tension still, and he will finally resolve it as we walk through this next series of verses. Now, when we get to this passage, I want you guys to see that this is commonly known as um, Ecclesiastes' epilogue, as if the movie has ended and now the credits, before the credits roll, uh, there's a, a story or a paragraph of this is what happened to the preacher. Or, this is what happened to the teacher as he lived the rest of his life. Here's what we're going to see. And you'll start to notice a, a shift from first person language to third person description. And I just want to highlight that there are people that tend to think that because of this shift, somebody else came in and tried to button up this book so it sounded better than if we just ended in verse 8, as if Solomon didn't actually write this. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think you should either. You could look into studying that, and if you want to talk about that, that's fine. But I believe Solomon, in his poetic nature and his poetic language, had the ability to move into third person and to end this passage the way he does. I mean, we see this in the New Testament when Paul describes in 2 Corinthians that a man himself went to heaven. He writes in that third-person description. And what we see in this passage first starts with this. Solomon gives credit to where credit's due. He shows us that before we get to the resolution, I want to lay the groundwork for where all of my wisdom and knowledge came from. So let's look what he has to say in verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. 
The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the nails, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Like a professor at the end of a class, Solomon has now got to the end of his semester. And his kids are getting up, his students are getting up, they're thanking him, saying, thank you for these wise words, thank you for teaching us in this way, thank you for preparing the material, and you didn't just come into each class disheveled and not knowing where you were going. We thank you for the wisdom you've imparted to us. And Solomon, the great professor, responds, thank you for these kind words, but all that I have imparted to you has been imparted to me by someone greater than myself. Solomon shows us that all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, all the Proverbs he wrote, the truth that he has given us throughout this book of Ecclesiastes has been given to him by one shepherd. And we know that shepherd to be Jesus. He uses the language of shepherd that reminds us of what Ezekiel tells us. That one day a great shepherd will come and he will shepherd all shepherds and he will be better than the ones before Ezekiel is talking about Jesus who is coming. And so here is Solomon showing us that this one shepherd, Jesus, has given him all his wisdom, all his knowledge, all the Proverbs that he's written comes from him. Interestingly enough, what you have here in the Old Testament is the doctrine of inspiration, that the Word of God has been inspired by Jesus. And because of that, we we are bound to what it says as believers. Scratch that. We're, we're bound to what it says, whether you're a believer or not, because God is the creator of all things, and He gives us His Word on how to live and the purpose that we have as human beings. Just as 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 remind us of this inspiration, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Solomon tells us how these inspired words from this one shepherd, Jesus Christ, brings about wisdom for the life of His people. And he gives us imagery in which we see and how he shows us how these wise words do this. How these wise words can make us wise and make us into the image of Christ. He does this with two images and then he does this with a warning. The first image is a goad. Now this would be a farming tool that would spur or guide sheep along as they're going on their path. And I hope you, you can already start to see where that is going, what wise words can do for our lives. But the second image that we have is nails. And these nails are actually what we would see as tent pegs that would hold and stabilize a tent, especially in the midst of a windy storm. What Solomon is telling us is through the ministry of the Word of God, we are being guided along and we are being stabilized through the Word of God. And I know we don't like to hear what I'm about to say, but I want to say this as lovingly as I can. 
especially with this idea of a goad or a, as we would call it today, a cattle prod. Oftentimes it is through the ministry of pain that God gets his sheep to go where they need to go. Now don't hear me saying that God is some angry, vindictive deity standing in heaven wanting to smite us because we have disobeyed. No, God is like a beautiful surgeon who takes a scalpel and cuts an incision that is painful, but he does it to remove the impurities or the thing that is causing us death. This is the type of God we have. Not some madman wielding a machete, cutting off limbs because he's upset, but a precise surgeon taking a scalpel and removing our unrighteousness, removing the things that we hold on to so dearly. And not only are we being guided along, and sometimes through the ministry of pain are we guided along, but the Word of God, Solomon tells us, is also keeping us stable. It's also stabilizing us to the rock of ages. Doesn't Jesus tell us this in Matthew chapter 7 as he closes the Sermon on the Mount? Here's what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What the word of God given by the one shepherd does for us is guide us and stabilizes us to the rock of ages. And this is what Solomon is showing us, that in this wisdom from this one shepherd, we are made into the image of Christ, and we are rooted and planted and stabilized into him. And Solomon warns us. He says in verse 12 to not get caught up in anything beyond this wisdom. He says, Be careful and do not get so caught up in the process of wisdom that you miss the point of all wisdom, namely Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. Solomon isn't saying here, don't go study wisdom, don't go study knowledge, don't go read any other books or try to gain some type of information that you only need to read the Word of God. That's not what he's saying. What he's telling us is to read, is to study, is to pursue wisdom, is to have an understanding of whatever argument that you want to make on both sides so that you can make an informed decision. However, Anything that you read, anything that you study, anything that you take a look at and want to make an argument for needs to be through the lens of the Word of God. You need to have discretion and discernment in what we have in this world. And it needs to come first through that lens. I want to challenge us because I think I know us well enough to kind of push here and lovingly um, say this. If the Bible is just something that you get to, if it's just something that's on your reading list, then I think and I would encourage you 
to rearrange some of your priorities. I mean, we're in May, so if you've read one book each month, you're at five books, right? And if you've only read one book of the Bible or if you've only read one passage every once in a while, I would encourage you to rearrange your priorities and to make the Word of God the thing that you are studying first and then getting to any and every other book. Read, learn, be challenged by the good books and the wisdom that we have around us. But be discerning and make sure that it flows first through the lens of God, through the Word of God that we have been given. And finally, Solomon gets to his conclusion. Finally, we have a resolution for what is the purpose of man. Let's hear what he has to say. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. After all we've walked through, after everything that we've seen Solomon tell us, finally we get to hear his resolution, his conclusion of all his studies. The purpose of life is to fear God and obey his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. This is our purpose. This is our essence. This is why we are here to fear him and obey him. The Westminster Catechism, the first question asks, what is the chief end of man? Because the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. This is our purpose. This is the essence of who we are. What Solomon here is showing us is that we need to take God seriously in what he tells us. Now this shouldn't shock us. Again, Solomon has been reiterating this theme over and over and over. Six times in this book, he has gone back to this phrase, fear God. And I think we've done a good job of trying to explain what this fear means. It's a a reverential awe that we should have. But I still think that we can hear fear and have this idea of a vengeful, angry God who demands that we be afraid of Him. And this just isn't true. Fear that Solomon is talking about comes from an understanding of how much God loves you and how much He loves me. It's what caused John Newton to write his great hymn. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. This is amazing grace that God would save a sinner like you and me, that he would call us his own seeing all of our shame, all of our sin, every time that we would choose something in this world over Him, every time we would lift up an idol of a gift that He's given us instead of worshiping the gift giver Himself, He still says before the foundation of the earth, knowing all that we would choose, I want Him. I want her. He says, I want you. And I will pay by the blood of my Son to bring them into my family to redeem them, 
to give them an eternal inheritance and that nothing they do and nothing in this world could ever separate my love for them. This is amazing grace. This is the fear that Solomon is talking about. The fear of awe and reverence to a holy God that calls us to Himself. And in that fear and in that awe, we obey because we know that in His commandments we find life and joy and satisfaction because this is how God has designed us to live. Calvin says that the whole life of the Christian ought to be a sort of practice of godliness. Our lives as believers should be a pursuit of holiness that God calls us to But Solomon doesn't stop there. It's almost as if he is prepared for the rhetorical question, why? Why do we need to fear God and obey His commandments? If I'm covered by the blood of Christ, why do I need to obey what He says? Well, he gives us this answer in verse 14. He says, because God will come to judge every deed and every secret thing, both good and evil. Now, real quickly here, I don't have a whole lot of time to get into this, so the topic I'm about to just quickly describe, if you want to have a social distance conversation about it, hit me up, email me, text me, and we'll we'll talk. But Solomon, when he talks about judgment here, means for both the believer and the unbeliever alike. Both will be judged. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, my judgment has been poured out on Christ, and brother and sister, that is true. In terms of the wrath of God against sin, your righteousness is given to you. But in terms of life and when it comes to the obedience that God calls us to, judgment cannot happen until Christ returns. As the Apostle Creed would tell us, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is sitting at the right hand of at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and from there he will come to judge both the living and the dead. The apostles creed is talking about the living and the dead in Christ that Jesus will judge based on our obedience. But I want you to hear this again. This does not mean that we as believers are going to be judged and found wanting. Because the gift of grace The merit of Christ, the victory, the righteousness that we have in Him has been imputed to us and we have positional holiness, we have positional righteousness and we don't have to be fearful or worried that our place before the Lord will be changed. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we will be judged based on our obedience. With that being said, a a part of judgment that we find both in the Old and New Testament is based on the manner in which each individual lives. And so here is this is what Solomon is talking about here. And if you're sobered by this reality or if you're kind of worried about what I've just talked about, hear me and hear the hope in this. God has put the Holy Spirit in you to help you obey His commands. But God has also given you His church to help come alongside you so that you can obey all that God has commanded and live a life in joy and satisfaction. This is why I will constantly go back to the community of believers that you need to immerse yourself in. 
so that they can help you become like Christ. Now let me quickly land this plane on judgment. If you come from a very hellfire and brimstone type of background, it could be really troubling to hear Solomon's last words that God will judge. In fact, my parents could probably um, say if this is right or wrong, but what I believe or what I've known about how I believe and have come to the faith in Jesus was hearing a hellfire and brimstone sermon when I was younger that said, you don't want to be in hell away from your parents, so accept Jesus. That can be daunting. This is not what Solomon is trying to say here. I want to show you that this is good news that Solomon brings to us, that God will judge. There's no screaming or yelling. There's no all caps at the end of this chapter. There's no exclamation points that will show us any type of fear-mongering. We see that this good news from Solomon shows us that all that we couldn't make sense of all that Solomon couldn't make sense of in this world, the injustice, the oppression, the pain, all of it will be made clear. And all of it will be made right. You see, when we hear judgment, especially with the background of this hellfire and brimstone, we can picture a rageaholic type of God, a bloodthirsty judge who stands before us ready to rip us a new one because he loves to do so. But this is so far from the truth of what the scriptures show us about who God is. Guys, there is no sin in God. And his wrath and his judgment is not rage, but is perfect and right together with love and mercy. These are his characteristics and he judges from them. He's not a tirade, or it's not some tirade as a coach would do on the sideline who's upset at his team. And here this, it is not an abusive parent who takes out his wrath and anger on his children. It's a perfect justice poured out rightly on injustice. Think about this for a moment. I want to give you an example. A good judge with integrity, one who is calm and firm, who doesn't take a bribe, who doesn't hear how people can or who hears how people can manipulate him and doesn't give in to that who seeks to render good and right justice why do we love that why do we seek this because when judgment is given fairly and rightly the victim is defended this is why judgment is good news that we long for it isn't just that the perpetrator is found out it's not that the, the one who did the injustice is shown. It's that the one who has been abused, who's been assaulted, who's been murdered, they're now defended. And what is true and what is right is upheld. This is the type of judgment we find in God. God's judgment is good news because all the evil and sinned against all the moments where the wise are mistreated, all the moments where the wicked seem to live free in their wickedness, all of that comes to an end and the victims will be defended and the perpetrators will be judged. Solomon's last sentence tells us that God, hear this, that God will have the last word, not injustice. Now let me close out this morning by bringing us back to this zombie narrative. That death has been chasing us. The truth is, we can't escape. 
here on earth, our, our bodies will get old. If we live long enough, all that Solomon described in his poem will come. So we can't escape death. It's the great equalizer. And honestly, if you think about the life of a zombie, they show us something about ourselves before Christ. That we are walking dead. Dead in our sin. Dead in our trespasses. Separated from God. Enemies to God. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, we are made alive. That our hearts of stone are made into hearts of flesh. That we are new creation in Him. That hear this. That goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. That death will ultimately die. And in Jesus Christ, the story doesn't end. God will judge every secret thing and we will soon find out that goodness and mercy has followed us and that no one can snatch us out of the hand of Christ and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the good news that Solomon shows us. That one day injustice will be judged. All the evil will be made right. And that we will stand before the Lord and see that even the goodness and mercy that He's shown us has been following us all the days of our lives. And in that, we will rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this truth that You give us through Solomon's words. Thank You for Your great mercy and grace that You've shown us in Christ. Lord, thank You for the truth that we were once dead and now we are alive, that we are new creations in You and that we can hope in the joy that death will end and injustice and oppression and all the wrongs will be made right when Christ returns. And so, Lord, help us to live under this sun, enjoying the life and the gifts that You've given us. Help us to see these gifts for what they are, and to be able to worship You in them. Help us to live in such a way that we are obedient to Your commands and that we live in fear and in awe of who You are because of the mercy and grace You've shown to us in Christ. We praise You for You are beautiful and wonderful. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at